Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Passages of Summer edition of the 7 a.m. Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now, we all know that the early pages of a novel or story are really difficult to get right. So this summer, we're discussing the choices that went into a range of authors' first pages in terms of scene, structure, language, etc., and how those choices might help you with your own first pages. Today, I am very excited that we get to hear from Alta Iflin, who's going to share the first pages of her novel, Speaking to Number Four. Good morning, Alta. Thank you so much for being on the show. Good morning, Michelle, and everybody. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. And we were, actually, we were kind of joking around because I'm talking to Alta. She's from she's in France, so it's not really morning. So we're pretending it's morning for her. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also fun because Alta and I met at the Wesleyan Writers Conference. We were both fellows, and we haven't seen each other since 2014. And and we lived in rooms right next to each other and froze in the dorm. So it's just wonderful to have her here with us. Um, Alta Ifland was born and grew up in communist Romania. She came to the U.S. as a political refugee in 1991, has a PhD in French language and literature, and translates from into Romanian, French, and English. She is the author of four books of short fiction, including Elegy for a Fabulous World, which was a 2010 finalist for the Northern California Book Award in Fiction, as well as Death in a Box, which won the 2011 Cibito Press Prize. Her collection of prose poems, Voix de Glace, or Voice of Ice, which she has trans she herself translated from the French, won the 2008 Louis Guillaume Prize, which is a French prize, and her novel, The Wife Who Wasn't, a satirical comedy about the Moldovans versus Californians in post-communist world came out in 2021. So you've got both of your novels have come out very recently. Yes. But yes. they were both they were both written many years ago and they came together. Yes. And yeah. you but Europa Press found you and Europa Press does so many really good books. All right. Um Alta, uh give us a summary of the book and um and then we'll hear your first pages. And once we hear your first pages, I'm worried that I'm gonna start slipping and calling you Alma because her main character is Alma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that had that happened before, actually. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay. Um, give us a kind of overview of, of, of what the book is about. Yeah, so the book is about um, a woman who has disappeared. Her name is Alma. And she, she disappeared um, shortly before um, marrying um, a man who in the book is referred to as number four because it's her fourth man. Um, so number four is trying to find her and in trying to locate her, he is interviewing her three former husbands, her sister and sister-in-law. So the whole book is, is basically, it's made of, um, the book has six parts. The first five parts are written in the voices of these five characters, the three husbands, sister and sister-in-law, whom who are interviewed by number four. And the last part is written in Alma's voice who writes a letter to number four. So basically what's, what's unusual about the novel is that it's, the main characters who are Alma and number four, they are actually absent. So yeah. we never hear from number four directly and from Alma, we, we only hear in the last part. So basically the whole novel is written in the voices of the secondary characters who are the, the, the three husbands and the sister and sister-in-law who are creating this reality and who are describing and are creating the character of Alma and of number four through their narrations so they narrate basically their encounter with number four. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, love, I love the premise of this. 
I love hearing about the main character from other people's voices and, uh, and the angles of other people. The closest, I think there's other novels that do do something similar. The closest I can think of is, and I've mentioned this book before, Alice McDermott's Charming Billy. So Billy has actually died at, at his funeral when the book opens. Um, and then we get all sorts of different points of view about Billy. And our introduction to Billy is all the kind of gossip and talk about him at the funeral brunch afterwards. I haven't um, read the book. I, I I will need to to read yeah, it because I like yeah. I like Alice McDermott. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And um, so, but I think you're you're taking the uh, premise one step further. I just I love the idea because it challenges our, our normal assumptions of of how we approach character and what character actually is, um, and and who we are according to others and and how all of those different angles and viewpoints basically makes who we are uh, to the world. Um, so I think it's fabulous. Okay, let's listen to these pages and then we'll talk about them. Okay, so the pages are from obviously the first part which is called number one and which is written in the voice of number one. Thanks, I'm fine here. Beer, yes, Budweiser. No thanks, it tastes like dishwasher as my wife used to say, I'll have a Sapporo. As soon as I said that, I remember who he was and corrected myself, my ex-wife, I mean. Then I added, I hope you didn't call to have my blessing. You were quite mysterious on the phone. He waved his hand dismissively. I took a good look at him, early 40s, slightly balding academic with the expression of an honest, intelligent dog. I could tell what Alma saw in him, a reliable pet one could count on at the end of a hard day's work. Okay, I said, because as far as I'm concerned, she and I are history. Or maybe you wanted to see with your own eyes what you're up against. You must know that our lover's past is like an invisible mountain standing between us and them. You know it's there, but you can't give it a shape. You can't touch it. And it drives you crazy. Believe me, I know. So you wanted to see the mountain. Here it is. Take a good look. Keep in mind that I'm 15 years older than when I met her. I've put on quite a few pounds. And my hair isn't what it used to be. But then she very likely isn't what she used to be either. My men used to stop in the streets to gawk at her. It's not simply that she was beautiful. She looked as if she came from another planet. Does she still have that dreamy look? She used to stare for minutes like that into the distance. Before our marriage, it made me want to hug her. She seemed so vulnerable. But after... Well, after, it's all very different. Have you been married before? No, never. Well, good luck. Everything that is touching and charming before becomes unbearable after. I mean, I come home after a day's work and she's there in her armchair, staring at the wall. And she isn't staring for 10 minutes. She could sit like that for hours without moving. No wonder she had an attraction for monks. How did the two of you meet? You mean she never told you the story? Well then, let me entertain you. At the time, I worked as an electrician at the university. One day, I got a call to come fix the VCR in the languages and literatures department. The classroom was empty and the desk in the middle had a TV and a VCR on it. It was a hot day. So before starting to work, I took off my t-shirt and secured my hair with a bandana. I had shorter length hair then, not like now. So there I was with one hand inside the TV, the other holding some wires from the VCR and my chest bare, 
need I mention to need I mention that I used to work out every day? When I heard a voice coming from the other end of the room, it was the voice of someone who had just woken up, sleepy and hoarse, vaguely masculine, coming from far away. It scared the bejesus out of me. Jesus, I said, was there. The next thing I saw was a wild mesh of long, spiraling dark hair rising above a desk and a creature getting up and moving toward me with the superb idleness of a jungle queen, carrying all that hair on her shoulders and on her back, all the way down to her waist. She came up to me and I could see that her eyes, dark as her hair, had a spark that reminded me of one of those tribal people seen on National Geographic. I think I fell asleep, she said. Did the class end? The class? Which class? French 202. Are you the teacher? Me. For a second, it crossed my mind to say, yes, yes, I'm the teacher. I'm whoever you want me to be. Instead, I said, no, no, I'm the electrician. And I pointed apologetically at the machines on the desk. Oh, she said, I guess that's why you go around bare-chested. It must be part of the job description. She didn't sound sleepy any longer and was sizing me up quite shamelessly. I told you that at the time I worked out every day, didn't I? Push-ups and weights at least an hour a day. There was plenty to look at, if I may say so myself. What's your name? I asked. Alma. Alma, as in soul. Yes, but don't be fooled. It's a misleading name. I have no soul. Of course you don't. You can't have what you are. Mm. That's yeah. a great way to, yeah, that's a great spot to end. Okay. Um, what, how did you come up with the concept of the book in the first place? Oh, how did I come up with the, the did you say the content? Yeah, or the concept of, of oh, the how concept, the concept. Sorry. how would you approach, how you approach this character and putting the book together in this way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, huh. I think initially, because you know, it, before we start writing, we have an idea of what the book is going to be like. So the first idea was that this is going to be about a woman who has disappeared, and that this woman, for some reason, uh, must have had several husbands. Mm. That was the, that was the first idea. So I wanted her to have had several husbands, and and then the second idea was that okay, that the future husband was looking for her. So this was the first idea that came into my head. That the other thing, that the structure of the book, from the very beginning, I knew that I wanted to write a book with that unusual structure and that I wanted to, to have a book in which that was almost about a, a that, that on the surface could be like a, like, a, like a crime, like a detective novel, that somebody was looking for somebody who's, who has disappeared, but there was no corpse. Right. That was another idea that I had, I, and, and, and like a detective novel without a corpse. Um, and then the other idea was that it, the book had to be structured around an absence, the absence of the main character. I, I felt very strongly about it, and I wanted to create to create a reality like a puzzle from the from many and different points of view, which were not the main character. And then little by little, the reality reality itself and the character it's, um, herself would be created from that multiplicity of, of voices, let's say. Um, so that that's, and then the little by little, the, you know, the structure um, started. So you, to, so you probably, did you always know why well, I have to start with the fourth husband speaking to the first husband? 
did I know why I had to start with that? Or, or did you, did, was that, yeah. Did you, did uh-huh. you, was that always, was this always where you started? No, no. That kind of developed later. Yeah. That's true. I didn't, I, that was not at the beginning, but I think it, in a way it made sense because I, I really wanted the main character to be, to be an absence and yeah. I wanted her to, to have several husbands. So then little by little, this idea started to grow in my mind. Right. Right. Um, so, and, and I love, so we get both see these scenes in conversation and what you do so well is, so we, we basically start off with just dialogue. Thanks. I'm fine here. Beer. Yes. Budweiser. No. Um, we don't know who is talking. It's slightly mundane, um, conversation, but it's not like we're it's not throat clearing it doesn't feel like it feels like we're watching something significant we have two men they don't know each other um and you don't do a lot of scene setting here because i think that would distract from the scene setting that number one needs to create of his meeting of alma oh i didn't think of it Um, but it's possible but it's true that initially i wanted it i mean indeed it starts with a dialogue yeah, And I, I wanted it to be mundane and I wanted it to be kind of normal. I wanted it to be like real life sort of. Yeah. And then later, the more number one goes in with the narration because he's he's getting warmed up himself narrating. And then the, the more warmed down he warmed up he gets, the more he gets into the description, into descriptive scenes. So later we will have some descriptive scenes. Yeah. yeah. Well, we do. um so again, the the present scene is is just these two guys, you know, and they're at a bar talking. We can it's kind of an ordinary scene. We can kind of fill that in ourselves. Um, you then move very nicely into this longer monologue uh, with the first husband, and I and I think it it just it's kind of nice because we we start off with these very, very quick dialogue pieces, no dialogue tags. Um, there's a lot of confidence there. I feel like we're we're really in good hands of an author that knows what she's doing. That's going to say, "Come with me. Um, you're, you'll get this. I will teach you how to read this." That's what these pages do. They're basically teaching us how to read the whole book, which which most novels will do. Um, but I think I think you're doing it very well here. Um, and then we move into this long monologue, which can be difficult. Um, how do you generally approach dialogue? Well, that's a good question because when so this is my this is my second novel, yeah, and um, it's it's very different from my first, and and I as you know I started as a short story writer, yeah, and initially when I started to write novels, writing dialogues was was definitely not a strong, you know, skill of mine. Mm-hmm. And I think here, when I started writing this novel, I almost gave myself this as a challenge. Let, let's see, can you write dialogue? Yeah. Because <laughs> it didn't come naturally to me. Yeah. Um, so that was almost like a challenge, but also because I, you know, dialogue obviously gives an impression of real life. So I wanted this to create, to give that impression. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sorry, I forgot your I forgot your question. It's, well, it's interesting because so number four is narrating this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, no, so there's the thing. It gives the impression that number four is narrating, but it's number one who narrates it. But he but narrates it's actually number narrative. one. Yeah, yeah, because his dialogue begins to take over, and he becomes our narrator. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah. And so that it's, it's, it's like a, it's like a story inside a story. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it can and be confusing. It can be confusing. I, all the time, like I was very afraid that this, the reader is going to be confused. He's not going to know anymore who's talking, which story are we inside, which, because sometimes even I, when I got confused, when I reread it, mm. so it can be confusing. Who's this? I mean, I, I totally get it that you would think that at some point number four says, I mean, he, he, he sometimes speaks, but when he speaks, he's basically quoted by the other right. Right. Um, but he's 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 kind of the overarching narrator, but it's the characters narrations in the dialogue that takes over that becomes the narrator, which I, I, I love that trick. I think it's I think it works very well. Now, you said it could be confusing. Did with agents and editors, did you have to make changes? Did you have to make edits? What sort of reading or, or what sort of um, feedback have you gotten from readers about this? Well, <laughs> Um, it, I, I think it could have been really complicated if I had had like a bigger publisher, but my publisher is very small. It's basically, he's in control of everything. So he, you know, so he didn't really have much to say. He just, we did very little editing. Wow. Uh, and yeah, because it's considered a, a wonderful, wonderful press, even though it's a smaller press. It's just it's high a very small press. Yeah. 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 I've had friends that are published through there. Okay, and then, so we have this long piece of monologue um, at the, starts at the bottom of page one, moves into the to page two, and we get kind of a little back and forth, how do you meet? Then 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 the, um, the number one husband really begins to, is taking over the text on page two. And what you do then too, is you move from the spoken dialogue into a scene um a, a, a quick flashback and it's rather seamless and I think it's a good trick for people to see how to do that now we will oftentimes see uh characters telling stories the stories are paraphrased and then the paraphrasing moves into a scene and here she's using actual dialogue that someone is t telling someone else's story and then we move into actual scene because in dialogue we don't normally get those those parts, you know, we, we we actually get the dialogue within dialogue. <laughs> I think I fell asleep, she said. Did the class end? The class? Which class? French 202. Are you the teacher? Me? For a second, it crossed my mind to say yes. I'm the teacher. I'm whoever you want me to be. And instead, I said, no, I'm the electrician. Oh, she said, we don't talk like this. This is uh -huh. not this is not how we talk. And and yet I think you convince us 100 percent that we we just go into this because we we love seeing. Um, now, did you always allow yourself to do that? Did you always allow yourself to play? Was that really natural to you? Or how did it come about? <laughs> I don't know. So she wrote this 10 years ago. And I'm making her go into like a warp of time to remember how she did it. Maybe Alta just magically happened for you, happened on the page. Yeah, no, but no, but what you said about the fact that it may that it, we don't really talk like that, but it may have sometimes the impression of naturalness. I mean, these are two things that I always like when you write dialogue, you struggle. You know, on the one hand, you feel oh, this needs to be needs to feel like real life, mm -hmm. but then on the other hand, literature is not real life. Right. Yeah. So, so it does. It always has an artificiality, but the artificiality needs to sound plausible or convincing. Yes. And consistent, so, which again, I think you're setting up, this is how this book is going to be. And the reader can either accept it or not. And if we accept it, we can then enjoy the book and continue. 
Um, yeah, it works, works very well. The name Alma means soul. Did you intend the name to be very close to your own name? Uh, yes, I did. Yes, I did intend that. Yes. Um, well, this book in I, some cases kind of, <laughs> so she becomes another self. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, I when I write novels, I one of the pleasures that I have because I enjoy it. It's like it's always like a almost like a child play for me. Like I always, all my novels have some kind of ludic element, some element of playfulness. And when I giving her the name Alma and making her be, you know, be this character, the main character that the number four is looking for, it's like I was having fun. Oh, like he's looking for me. He's not finding me. <laughs> So she had to be somehow, you know, almost like me, not quite, but right. a little bit. <laughs> and yet she gets the chance to speak at the end of the novel. Yes. And that was really, that's one, that I think that's the part of a novel that was more complicated or harder to, to come up with. Like, I didn't know how to finish it. And I, I really struggled with the idea, should Alma speak? Should, because I really wanted her not to speak at all. Yeah. <laughs> but it turned out in the end that that was very difficult. So just for the purposes of resolving the novel, I realized that I have to let her speak toward the end. But I think it is it would have been much more interesting if, if, if I could have created the novel without her speaking at all, but I just couldn't do that, so. Yeah, yeah. But it, you know, because it, it, you are setting up a, a mystery, it is, it is like a crime without a, without a body. Um, so you make us wait for that. So by the time that we get to that final chapter, we're kind of like, oh yes, we finally have, we finally have Alma. Yes, I, th I think it works. I think it works very, very well. Um, everyone, I'm going to have to get you back to your writing desk and let Alta, Alta Alma go. Um, you can find our full schedule at our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Subscribe there for updates. You can also find the full range of our podcast episodes on that page, including the episodes from our past two writing challenges, as well as on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review our podcast so that we can reach other listeners. Okay. I'm ending that a little early because Alta said that when I asked her the last question, she might go on in a complex answer, which I want her to do. So the last question is, what advice would you give to authors about their own first pages? Okay, so I, of all the questions you could ask me about giving advice, uh, the question related to the, to the first pages, to me, it seems the most difficult yeah. to answer uh, as far as advice is concerned. Because for me, the, the beginning of the novel, the first sentences, are connected to the genesis of the novel to, to basically what's the idea or, or the event because sometimes there is some kind of event that happens in your life whatever something that gives you a spark and that spark pushes you to write the novel so um since all of this is very personal for every writer you know the genesis behind the novel is something very personal um you can learn that in a book mm -hmm. um um, that's why I think that the beginning is, it's, it, you know, it, the way the beginning comes about is, it's very unique. But if, if, the, if I could give an answer, I, I mean an answer, if I could give an advice, I think that would be write a beginning that should some, somehow, uh, somehow represent the genesis of the novel. Yeah. To me, I think that would give some kind of authenticity to, to that novel, I think. For example, like in my case, it starts with the dialogue, thank you, et cetera. So it's basically, we are already in the middle of a dialogue that had already started yeah. between two people. And it's, I, I, I don't know, to me, it seemed that that kind of 
gives to the reader something about the unusual genesis of, of this novel. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's not a very helpful <laughs> advice. I know that. Well, but it, but, and so, and I also, beginning in a scene where the dialogue has already started, where the scene mm-hmm. is essentially already started, gives the scene a lot of energy. Because, and it also trusts the reader quite a lot. Because we think we're, we're, it's like we're, we're being allowed to, um, uh, peep in on a, a scene that's already ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we lean into that. I think it's really quite powerful. I hope so. <laughs> and then you had said that you didn't always start with this scene, though. I mean, because lots of times our writers have found the scene that will be their beginning later in the book. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. Now, okay, here I can't answer because I don't remember. Yeah. Honestly. You know, I'm not sure. How I, yeah, I'm not sure how I, it was, it's been 10 years, so I don't know. I don't and so, and so we forget these things. Um, how has it been to publish the book so long after you wrote it? Uh, it's kind of anticlimactic, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you can't control those things, so. And, it, but you still get it out in the world, and then you get people like me asking you questions about it, and you have to remember 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's complicated because also I published it and as I was just moving to France, but it was published in the States. So that complicates things. Right, right. Well, I, I think the premise is perfect. And everyone, I think it is a really good book to look at if for studying dialogue and for using dialogue to set up a story inside a story. Um, this is something you can do. Other authors have done it as, as well. So it's just another tool that you can put in your toolbox um, to use to give you some other options um, in terms of how you're setting up your story. And Alta, what are you working on next? Another novel? Yeah, I finished, an, I just finished a novel and I just started another novel, which is, that one is interesting too. It's called The Actor and the Writer. It's about an actor and a, and a writer who are have discussing uh, the difference between um, and the similarities between creating a character on the page and creating a character in role-playing. So, oh, interesting. It's also a love story between the two. Have you oh, good. Okay, you so we'll look for that as well. Okay, thank you so much for your time, Alta. Oh, thank you, thank you. This was, this was really exciting. And uh, everyone, have a fabulous writing day.